everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading Acts 8, and we come across some big questions. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? To be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit? Should believers be baptized twice? Is there a second filling of the Holy Spirit? Verses 14 through 16 say, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who had come down, verse 15, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What's happening here? How could these people have been baptized only in the name of Jesus and not have received the Holy Spirit? Why did the apostles have to lay hands on them such that they would receive the Spirit? Should we be doing that today? As I thought about this passage, interestingly, I was actually reminded of my middle school experience. When I started middle school, my school was brand new. I was part of the first class of sixth graders to ever walk through those doors. The first class that would spend three consecutive years in that school, and there would never again be a first class to graduate from Jose M. Lopez Middle School in San Antonio, Texas. And because we were the first group of students to go all the way through, there were certain things we did that all the students who followed in our footsteps would never have to do. For example, because we were the very first people to use the lockers in the school, We had to pull these little white tabs out of them, but no other student would ever have to do that. We only had to pull the tabs out because we were the first. When you start middle school, getting your first locker can be a nerve-wracking thing. Will I be able to get it open? What if I forget my combo? What if I forget which locker is mine and awkwardly walk up to someone else's and stand there trying to open it? When school started, you'd get an instruction sheet that told you which locker was yours, the code, and how to open it. But because my grade was the first class to come through the school, our instructions had an extra step. Pull off the white tab. Our instructions had that step because we were first. Every student after us, they never had that step. What we did was formative. It got the lockers ready for years and years of use. But what all the other students after us did and still do today is normative. It's normal to open your locker for the first time without having to pull off the tab. In fact, every student after us never had to. They never had to pull off one of those tabs. Now, what would be crazy and honestly really socially awkward would be if my younger siblings, when they started middle school, if they showed up and started looking for that tab. Have you seen that little white tab? I think, I think I'm supposed to pull something off my locker. I think that's what we're supposed to do. No one would know what they were talking about because that wasn't a step anymore. They could just enter the locker combination and open it like normal. Good news is, I don't think my younger siblings did that. In fact, I don't think I even told them about the tap. It's a silly illustration. But there are believers throughout church history who have made a similar mistake in real life. And in real life, it's not funny. It's really serious. When we mistake what is formative for what is normative, we can get into theological trouble really, really fast. When we read about something in the Bible that happened one time, signifying something new, when we read about something that's formative and mistake it for something that's 
normal or regular, something we should emulate or repeat, we get ourselves into trouble. In today's passage, we see some Samaritan believers get baptized in the name of Jesus, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit. So then the apostles show up and lay hands on them, praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they do. And some people call this this event or this occurrence, this act, baptism of the Holy Spirit, a second blessing, or a second filling. And the question is, should we be doing this today? Should believers be baptized a second time in order to receive the Holy Spirit or to receive the Holy Spirit in greater measure? Simple answer, no. When you receive Christ, when you become a believer, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's Romans 10, you're saved and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. The story we read in Acts 8 is formative, not normative. Remember, the outline for the book of Acts, we talked about it back in the bonus episode, Acts 1-8, it outlines the book. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts traces the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and then to the rest of the earth. And in chapter 8, we see a key moment. For the first time, the gospel has extended to Samaria. This was great news. It's what Jesus said would happen, that the gospel would spread, which is why we read in verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Peter and John go there. They check out the situation. They're like, hey, this is legit. The gospel's here. And then the believers received the Holy Spirit. This was a formative event. It marked a new movement of the gospel, just as Jesus said would happen. And you keep reading in today's chapter, and then you get to the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which is actually, fun fact, my favorite story of the whole Bible. And in verse 35, Philip starts explaining the truth about Jesus to this eunuch. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, the scripture that the eunuch was asking about, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So here's what's interesting. Philip leads this guy to the Lord. He receives Christ and gets baptized by immersion, water baptism, like we do today, an obedient step, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, that signifies an outward expression of an inward commitment. It doesn't save us. It's our response to salvation. So this guy here at the end of Acts 8 is baptized by immersion in the water, and then Philip leaves. He doesn't baptize him a second time to receive the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Additionally, nowhere in any of Paul's letters to the churches do we see any instruction, command, or encouragement of this quote-unquote second baptism to receive the Holy Spirit. What we read about today at the beginning of Acts 8 is formative because it signifies a new movement. What we read about at the end of Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch story, is normative 
That's what we see most commonly throughout the rest of the Bible, and that's what Jesus said to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're a believer in Christ, you receive the Spirit when you're saved, and you only need to be baptized once. If you're curious, you can check out Romans 6, 1 through 4, Colossians 2, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, or John 14, 16 through 17. But it's important for us to note, for some people, this conversation can be really tough. Maybe they've been hurt by the church or felt like they aren't spiritual enough or spirit-filled enough. Conversations around this topic can be hurtful, abrasive, or even deceptive. But God intends His Word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, not a stumbling block or something we trip over or get in fights over. Whenever we struggle to understand something in God's Word, it isn't because God's not good or trustworthy. It's because we are broken and make mistakes. We don't always get it right. So as with any interpretive challenge— It's always important that we don't just look at one passage in isolation, but instead zoom out and ask, what else does the Bible say about this? And as we saw today, this question can help bring a lot of clarity. And I'd encourage you to do the same. Search the scriptures for yourself and see what else does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit and about baptism? See for yourself. That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.